All right, well, this morning we're continuing our, our series, Acts chapter three. We're gonna be in the first 16 verses where we are. So if you brought a Bible, turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, there are paperback ones on the back tables. You can get up and grab one of those, or you can get your phone out and go to cpwp.life and swipe over. You'll see a card that says message notes. And so what is up on the screens is there. There's space for you to kind of type in notes. You can email them to yourself afterwards. All right. So I would encourage you some way, somehow follow along. This is God's word that we want to get into. You don't need to hear my opinions or my thoughts, but we need to hear from God this morning. And so in this series, we're looking at the way that Jesus is building his church. It's not a story of like, well, there was Jesus, you know, in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and now it's sort of the story about us and the church. No, no. It's always been the story about Jesus and how he now has ascended and how he is working through his people to build this church. And where we've been the last few weeks is that Jesus told his disciples, I need you to wait because I'm going to send power from on high. So they wait. And then the spirit descends And there's this bold proclamation, and Peter gets up and he preaches this amazing sermon empowered by the Spirit of God, and 3,000 some people get saved. And so they go from a group that was like early on, just these, you know, handful of disciples, and there's about a group of 120, and suddenly they got 3,000 some people on, you know, like they're trying to figure out what to do with. And it tells us, we looked at this last week, that they began to continue to have this great rich fellowship, this sacrificing for one another, uh, holding their possessions loosely. You need something? Okay, I can help in in this way. And paying attention to the apostles' teaching, breaking bread, all these beautiful things that were happening. And now by the time we get to chapter three, we see the spirit at at work again um, in this demonstration of God's power as the spirit brings healing. So I wanna go ahead and read these 16 verses. And as I do, I encourage you a couple things. For one, to follow along, but will you also, will you stand as I read God's word? Let me read this so we get the full context here. Acts chapter three, beginning in verse one, it says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising uh, praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, and while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
So what I wanna do, I wanna look at this, this text, and anytime we're reading the, the scriptures, all right, we gotta try a bit and ask the Holy Spirit, like, hey, show us, like, what are we supposed to hear from this? Um, and I think sometimes there can be a tendency to, to put ourselves in the story almost like in the wrong way, all right? We can tend to read ourselves, like, oh, there's people in the story that they've got the issues, they've got the problems, they've got the sin issues, whatever, and we're like the good people, and that's not the way to read it, all right? We need to see, like, we are the crippled, lame man in this story. Now there's things that Peter does and things that John do that we also are, are called to do as followers of him. But this morning, I want us to see something. I want, I've been praying for all of us that you would see that there's this movement that God has toward you. And so as we look at the first four verses this morning, you see there's this man, right? And every single day he's carried to this particular spot. And he's just calling out. He's just calling out. And for this man, think about his life for a moment. He can't walk. He can't fend for himself. He literally has to rely on the strength and the power of some other people and their kindness toward him to bring him to a particular spot as people would be coming in for the prayers and he would just cry out any alms for the poor. He would be asking for their help. And let's be honest, if we every day were going up to the temple at this particular time and every time we saw this man, eventually what would happen is we wouldn't see him. He's background noise at this point, right? People are coming, people are going, and here's this man and it's just sort of drowned out. You don't pay attention, you don't see him at all. Like there's this call to actually see people. I don't know if you ever saw this. It came out a a few years ago. Um, There was this interesting video um, and it surfaced online, but it was a training video that Chick-fil-A had done, all right, for their their employees about how they were to treat customers. Now I realized I just did something terrible. I I said Chick-fil-A on Sunday and you can't get it, okay? But in this particular training video, these scenes were being depicted as people were interacting in a restaurant. I won't show you the video, but here's a couple of the, you know, kind of some things that you would have seen if you were to watch it. It's like, here's this man, and he's up at the counter. And they're trying to showcase for you that every person you encounter has a story. So this man fired from his job and is worried how he will provide for his family. He's just in there trying to order a chicken sandwich, but the reality is this, like there is a background story to this man. He's not walking in, just skipping through life. Like there's hurt and there's pain and there's difficulty, right? And so there's this call as they're training their their people, like recognize and realize everybody has a story. This scene, here's this woman sitting by the window drinking her coffee. That husband of 49 years died last month and today would have been their 50th anniversary. You know, so you start to realize, okay, like everybody has a story. If this couple here, they've dreamed of children but struggled with infertility. Again, they probably didn't announce that as the woman came over there to see if they needed anything at their table. Like, hey, here's our part of our story. But this is all kind of beneath the surface. This is the, these are the streams of things that are kind of running through their life. And it's not just true of people in a restaurant. Like, that's here this morning. Every single person that you and I have interacted with this morning, and even the people we haven't, all right, have a particular story. You ask somebody how they were doing. Somebody probably said, oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, how are you? It was good. Yeah, it was a busy week, but all in all good. And like, it kind of can just, it kind of stays there. And I'm not saying like the first time you meet somebody, you just divulge everything, okay? But let's be honest. Everyone here, no one's exempt. You've got hurt. You've got pain, you've got insecurities, you've got doubts, you've got things that you celebrated, but you're a little bummed out because maybe you didn't have enough people to actually celebrate with. Like, who do I tell this to? Like, this is amazing. Who am I going to? Who's going to rejoice with me? And who's going to weep with me and mourn with me? 
And so the person to your right and the person to your left and the person behind you and in front of you, every single person, even the people you know, that you're thinking, man, if I could have their life, they've got it all together. No, they don't. And if you believe that they do, you're believing a lie. And if they say that they do, they're just lying as well. Like none of us have it together. Everybody's got a story and there's pain and there's difficulty. As if we're gonna put ourselves in the story, right? There's a call on the one hand to actually see people, all right? But I want us to step back for a moment and just start here. What Peter moves towards this person, it says he directed his gaze at him. People are passing by. Everyone's going about their business. I gotta hustle, I gotta get there. They're going for the prayers. Like it's not a bad thing that they're going for. And he's just background noise. And yes, it's amazing that, you know, you could go to a restaurant and somebody's kind of dialed in enough to really try and get to know you and to recognize you've got some hurt and some pain. But what I love that this story does is it takes it even further because it's not just Peter that sees this man. Like God is seeing this man. So Peter, it says he directed his gaze at him. I mean, look at the language here that we get, all right? So there's this kind of moving and this coming and going and Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, verse four, directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He's calling the man in that moment. Listen, I see you. I see you for who you are. I see you that you're an image bearer. I see the Imago Dei. Like, I see you. Look at us. I want you to know that I see you in this moment. Isn't that the heart cry of all of us? We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be heard. We want to be understood. And this man who was just background noise, the Apostle Peter, who's got a lot of things going on. He's got a mega church to run now, all right? He just preached one sermon and 3,000 some people showed up. He's got lots on his plate, all right? His inbox is blowing up, okay? And yet, he hears this man ask for alms and he's like, hey, look at me. It's like, look at us, I see you, I recognize who you are. I don't know your full story, but I know you're hurting and I know you're in pain. And what I want to encourage you in this is as we get into this text, and there's a lot of different angles that we could go. Like there's a calling for us to be like Peter in that moment. Do you see other people? Yes and amen to that. But I also want you to know this, that you are seen and you are loved and you are known and God knows your story. I, I don't know all the particulars, all right? And if you're looking for somebody else to perfectly see you and know you, like they can't live up to that expectation, they will frustrate you, they will let you down, but there is a God of this universe, the one true God, the one true king, and here's what I need you to know. As you sit here this morning, he sees you. He is directing his gaze at you. He looks at you intently. He's inviting you to look at him and say, hey, I see and I hear and I know and I want to enter into your story. I'm not disinterested. You're not bothersome to me. You're not somebody that I'm just like, ah, like this pesky little thing that would just go away. Like he sees you. And so the question becomes as we get in this, do you believe that? I'm hoping and praying that this morning that God uses this text to remind you, to cover you with that truth that God does see you. And God actually desires to know you and he's made it possible. And then when we get that, oh my goodness, Imagine what that would do if we were a community that we understood that God of the universe sees us. Imagine what, how we might be able to actually see other people. Because I can be freed then in that moment. I don't have to focus on self. I understand that the God of the universe sees me. I got nothing to prove. And now other people don't exist as just some sort of ancillary part of my story. Like, no, you've got a story and it's unique and I, I wanna know you and I wanna point you 
to this ultimate story of who God is and how he's at work in the world. But we all get caught up in like our own little story and thinking, oh, nobody pays attention. And so we kind of have to chirp and say, hey, look at me, look at me. And God's like, I see you. And when you're freed and realize that God sees you, then you can start to move towards other people. And so I want to ask you this morning, we're going to come back to this question, but think about it right now. Like, where do you need to experience the power of God to know that he sees you and that there's something he wants to free you from, that he wants to heal you, that he's, he cares deeply about your pain? I don't know what it is, but I trust that the Spirit of God is revealing, has already revealed, like you might, be, you might have a very clear answer to this. Maybe it'll be in the course of the next few minutes that we have together, but trusting that the Spirit will reveal something like, where do you need to experience the power of God, the healing power of God? If you've got unresolved anger you're not sure what to do with, is there a fear, is there envy, is there bitterness, is there sexual immorality? Like, what, what is it that's got this stranglehold on you? That there's just this pervasive sadness? Like, what, what is the thing? You're like, God, I need you to see my pain, and I, I need you to bring comfort, and I, I need you, Holy Spirit, to bring conviction because I need to move in a, in a new direction. Like, where is it that you need to experience the power of God? This story is not just a story about a man a couple thousand years ago who was healed. It's a story about how our God continues to bring healing, and the particulars of your story are different. But yet, we're all image bearers, and we all live in this broken, fallen world, and we all have struggle, and our God sees us, and our God moves toward us. So let's look at this miracle that takes place. I think if we understand what happens in the miracle, and don't get just caught up in, oh, okay, so you know, if I have some physical ailment, has God promised me that he's going to take care of that? He doesn't promise that. Can God do it? Yes. Will we pray to that end? Yes. But we need to see something bigger that your God, the God that we worship, the God that is here with us this morning, like he cares deeply for you. And he is at work, even if the particulars don't go the way that you want them to go. But look at the details here. So we pick up in verse 5. And so he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I imagine the, if I'm just being honest, if I'm the guy in the moment, I'm like, oh, this, this brother's going to tell me he's going to pray for me, right? Like, I just want something so I can buy some food, right? Um, if I'm in that spot, I'm probably just like a little bummed out. Like, hey, I'm sorry, I've got no cash on me, right? I know we're, we're, we're all credit card these days. Like, oh, do you take Venmo? No, I don't. I, I don't, right? Like, so... He's probably bummed out. He's like, what is happening? And then Peter says, I've got no silver. I've got no gold. I've got, I really don't have any currency. I don't have anything I can give you. But what I do have, I give to you. And this is where it gets really good. And he's like, in the name, we'll come back to that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then look at verse seven. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. There's this beautiful picture here of there's this declaration, this trust in the power of God. And the man doesn't jump up on his own. It's this Peter reaches out to him and the man has to trust. Like he's never stood apparently in his whole life. He's never walked his ankle. There's no strength in that. And suddenly in the coming up, things get strengthened. And God does this amazing miracle in this man's life. And so verse eight, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to this man and what had happened to him. And so a couple things, like what is this miracle? Like what does it have to do with you and me this morning in the areas where we want to experience the power of God, all right? What does this miracle teach us? And so a couple things I think that are important as we start out. And the first thing um, that we need to recognize is this. Luke is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's not just making up stories, that this is something historical and it's something powerful that's taking place. So even things like they're going to the temple in the ninth hour for the daily prayers, those sorts of things, that is written in a way where you're recording something that historically actually happened. This isn't fable. This isn't legend. This is being written in a particular genre. Luke is trying to communicate, like, at this time and in this place, here's what they went and did. You wouldn't include those sort of details if you're just trying to make up some general story about how things work in the world. Now, this is very detailed. And so it's something historically that happened. And then it demonstrates the power of God. This wasn't some fluke thing. This wasn't like, hey, the man, you know, he, he used to be able to run and walk and do that. Um, and then he got a sprained ankle and, and you know, uh, Peter said, hey, rise up and walk. And it just happened that he just had enough time passed that his ankle had gotten strengthened and now he was good to go. And like, oh, you could sort of write it off. It's like, no. This man, the understanding here is like, he's been this way since birth. He's never known what it means to walk, to run, to skip, to dance, to leap. He's never known that. As a grown man, he's been carried around by other people. That's his story. So the miracle teaches that this is something historically happened, and there's this power of God that is at work. And in this, this is the same God that we worship. This is the same God that we're crying out to. But what I love about this is we look at kind of another layer of this story. What was the man doing? Well, the same thing he did every day. Can you give me a little money? Can you help me out? I just, I just want to have enough to eat. He relied on the generosity of other people coming and going from the temple. But this particular act of God, what is happening here, this miracle, this is something beyond just the request or the ask that this man makes. Think about it. He's saying some alms. Can you help me out? And the way that our God works, he's like, oh, Hey, I've got that. Sure. Who do you think's been taking care of you all of these years? Who do you think's been stirring the hearts of people to actually give you enough to actually survive on? Who's gotten you to this point? Like, that's been God all along. But then God is going to do something beyond what the man even knows to ask. Like, I love this, this quote. I've read this before, but C.S. Lewis, and he's talking about the way that God builds us into the kinds of people that God would take up his dwelling with us. And he likens it to a home and a home renovation. And so he says it this way. He says, imagine yourself as a living house and God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. Well, you knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? What's Lewis getting at? It's like, we kind of expect, okay, God, yeah, we know that there's these little repairs. There's this request that you might be making to God that's like the equivalent of, I need this little repair. God, will you do this? And God's saying, well, yeah, sure, I got that. But you have no idea what I want to do. 
how I want to work in and through you. And so Lewis continues. He says, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. So many of us, myself included, are guilty of sort of just asking for the alms, asking for the roof repair, and God's like, oh, well, yeah, I've got that. But I'm in the business of doing something far grander, far bigger. I am gonna indwell you, like you're gonna be in my presence, you're gonna be able to enjoy me. Like, ask yourself, like, is your request, is it too small? And this is not some sort of weird, like, you know, theology, like name it and claim it sort of prosperity thing. That's not what we're talking about at all, all right? But do you believe that God is at work in such a way that one day you're gonna be with him, you're gonna be in his presence, and that everything he's doing right now is forming you and shaping you to be the kinds of people that he wants us to be, and that one day he's gonna set everything right? Like, are we praying, are we asking God to reveal to us, like, you know, what is he doing, how we can trust him in this? Like, I love the language that Paul writes in the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 3. It's at the, the back end of this prayer where he's just praying, I pray that you would understand the love of God, the breadth and the depth of God's love for you. And then he concludes this way in chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The God that we worship, the God we make our request to, is a God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think according to the power at work within. Did you notice this? At work within us. That you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the power of God that's taken up residence in your life. It's a great resource called the, the Gospel Transformation Bible. And in the notes on this particular passage, I love this line, all right? Um, whoever put those notes together, I don't know who to give credit to, so we're just gonna go the Bible, all right? Uh, the, the notes in this particular Bible. Um, and in it, it said, you know what? When we think about this language, the power at work within us, like we tend to picture a nine volt battery. And he's like, it's not a nine volt battery. You have a nuclear power plant at work within you that's tied to God Almighty, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Like, don't forget the little nine volt battery that you're like, let me stick it on your tongue. Oh yeah, it's got some power in there, right? Like, no, you've got a nuclear power plant. It's tied to God Almighty. It's empowered by him, his spirit. Like, that's what we're talking about. No wonder our God can do more than we ask or think. We make requests that are small and they're tiny and our God is like, I'm at work in much, much bigger ways. And so for this man, he wanted a handout. And what he got was healing. What he got was conversion. You see him now, he's praising God. He's leaping through the temple, all right? He doesn't care who sees. He's not embarrassed. He's not now keeping this to himself. Like, ah, I feel a little reserved. I don't know what, what to do. He's like, he's leaping like a deer. All right, that, that's sort of the imagery here. Just bouncing around. Like, what's gotten into this guy, right? That's just this amazing thing that's taken place. And all of this is pointing to this reality that there's some other layers that are running in this story. Because for the Jewish people, what they would have believed, what they would have taught is that one day, when the Messiah shows up, these sorts of things are going to happen that this is something that the Messiah does. This is something the long-awaited Savior is going to do. And so what would have been forefront of their minds 
As these were people that were thinking, well, Jesus certainly couldn't have been it because we killed him. They were still longing for the Messiah. And a passage like Isaiah 35 is this beautiful, just brilliant passage, and it's talking about the Messianic age. When the Messiah shows up, here's what you can expect. So it says this. Look at these words, verses 5 to 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What God is communicating to us is like that power is broken through. Those streams are now running. What has happened? You've got a man who's been crippled and lame since birth, and he is leaping like a deer through the temple. Doesn't care who knows, wants more people to know. This God has done this. I just asked for a handout. I was hoping to get a bite to eat. And look how God is at work. So this is communicating. Listen, it's like all the lights should be going on in the dashboard. So we're like, oh, wow, this isn't just the story of this miracle. This is a way that God is communicating. The Messiah has come. He came on the scene. And then there's this other layer to this. I don't know if you would have seen this or, or not. This was something that was very helpful just to, to read in this past week. A conversation with, with Eric pointed this out about the, the temple. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but in the first few verses, the word temple is used over and over and over again. I, unless I did the math wrong, I counted six times, all right, in the first 10 verses. And then even other references about the beautiful gate and all this stuff. It's very redundant. It's like, wait, wait. I, I get it, we're at the temple. So we were at the temple, going to the temple. Then we went into the temple. It's like, wait, why do you keep saying the temple? Like, what's going on? Well, a couple things. This miracle is showcasing something else. The temple was believed to be, that's, that's where the presence of God was. We'll see even this reference here as we get into verse 16 in a moment. But the name of God was believed to, that, that's what dwelled in the temple. You got the name of God, you got the presence of God there. And then you have a man named Jesus who comes on the scene and says, we're going to destroy the temple in three days. I'm going to rebuild it. Because what is he communicating? It's not about this physical structure. It's about me. You want, you want this place? Okay, that's, that's pretty amazing, and it's, it's got some, some cool features. But listen, like everything that happens in the temple was pointing to me. All of the sacrifices, they find their fulfillment in me. The presence of God, God showed up in flesh and blood. And as Peter's going to point out, we killed him. But death couldn't keep him down. And so he rose again. The temple got rebuilt three days later. The presence of God, like God is with us. The Holy Spirit has come. All of this is this way for Luke, who's writing this, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to say, listen, you think that that is the place? Like, no, no, no. God is doing something much, much bigger. That's old and tired. Been there, done that. God's doing a new thing. And this man who wasn't allowed to be in the temple because of his lameness, the fact that he was crippled, now is suddenly going into the temple. He finally belongs, all right? Like, this is what God does. God brings healing. He says, you've got a new identity. And this man goes in, and yet it can't contain, the temple cannot contain the spirit of God. Because now guess what happens as we continue in this? It spills out into Solomon's portico and this colonnade. It begins to, to move out of it. It's this way that Luke and God ultimately is communicating to us the temple isn't enough. Like all of that was pointing to Jesus. The Messiah has come. Do you see the new thing that God is doing? And it's not just enough then that there would be this healing. It's, there's the message that needs to be declared. So yes and amen to good deeds. Yes and amen to 
meeting people and serving their tangible, practical needs. But there's also a call, which is what Peter does here, to declare the message, the message that we all need. Look with me at verses 11 to 16. So while he clung to Peter and John, this is the man, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. One of the things that's so fascinating, I think, in this text, maybe one of the things that is a, a really healthy challenge, I find it incredibly challenging to me. I think there's a couple things. For one, the man gets healed, and he's, he's now just telling everybody. Like, there, there's, this, there's this movement of people who just can't, they can't contain themselves. They're like, I've got to tell somebody. Peter, I think it's fair to say, is in this moment, he's in a beautifully redemptive way. He's opportunistic. He's like, I'm gonna, there's an opportunity here. People are asking, like, what's going on? There's a crowd that is gathered. Back in chapter two, there was a crowd that's gathered, and Peter says, okay, I'm gonna tell you what's going on. And he declares this sermon. I don't think there was a lot of prep on his part. I don't think he put together sermon slides, right? I don't think he had a microphone. It was just like, in this moment, people are asking, and there's a crowd that's beginning to gather, and he's going to seize this opportunity. And that may not, the particulars of that are probably going to look different for, for you and me in this upcoming week and, and beyond that. But there are opportunities where people are asking questions and he seizes the opportunity. But what I love about what Peter does is you notice in verse 12, look at that with me. It's, it's sort of Peter's way of saying, hey, don't look at me. He's like, this isn't from me. This isn't from John. In verse 12, he says this, why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter is very clear and very committed to, the attention goes to Jesus. Don't, don't look at me. Don't stare at me. He's like, it's not my own power. I didn't do this. And it's not my own piety, meaning it's not my religious, like, sort of right behavior or anything that did this. God didn't look at Peter and say, okay, you've done enough right things, and suddenly I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through you in this. He's like, no, no, that's not it. The power is in the name. You know who denied the name? Well, it was Peter, right? Like that's part of Peter's story. He knows that he's messed up, that he's not been perfect in all of this. And so it's this constant reminder, like go to Jesus, go to Jesus, get other people to go to Jesus. You're not the savior. You're not the hero of anybody, all right? And we know that, but some of us can't sleep at night because we carry things we're not meant to carry. And you need to tell yourself, you need to tell that little part of your brain or that voice or that lie that you're believing, you're not the savior, Jesus is going to take care of it. He will take care of it. He sees that person. You don't have to perfectly handle this. And Peter's like, hey, it's not me. It's not my piety. It's not, power's not in me. Power is in Jesus. Don't look at me. You need to look to Jesus. But Peter doesn't just stop there. He's very clear to say, listen, we're all implicated. And so it's, can we be honest? It's a little bit odd. They're asking questions about healing and suddenly he's like, yeah, you murdered the author of life. I mean, it goes very serious, very quickly. 
And it's because Peter understands that it's not just the man there who needed to be healed. It's that every single person who doesn't know Jesus is in worse shape than that man who was crippled all his life. That we are all mangled and crippled. Like we can't get to God on our own. We cannot do it. Our good behavior, whatever piety we have, it is not enough. And so he says, listen, at the end of the day, you need to know this. Like, you killed the author of life. Like, you put Jesus on the cross. Your rebellion, you wanting to make the story all about you, like, you put him there. And so it's where, if we were to continue reading, there's this invitation, though, that I love. Like, if you were to drop down to verse 17, he says, Brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He's like, you too can get in on the story, but you have to recognize you need a miracle to happen in your life. God is up to something much, much bigger than just our little desires or the things that we want to see happening. He is at work to reconcile people back to himself. And so there's this invitation that Peter gives. He says it here in verse 16, and by his name, by faith in his name. This is another way that he's saying, hey, we're standing here right outside of the temple where it was believed, well, the, the name of God dwells there. And he's like, no, no, it's, listen, all of that was pointing to the name, Jesus, the one name where every knee one day will, will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's pointing them to the reality that Jesus is the one who's at work. Do you know that? And so let me ask you as we wrap this up, where do you need to experience the power of God? Where is it that you're stuck? Where is it that you need to cry out to God and say, God, I need help with this? And, and he might surprise you. He might say, oh yeah, I've got that taken care of, but I'm doing something even much, much bigger. I'm not saying you can't cry out to God with something that he might be wanting to do something bigger, all right? It starts with just crying out to God. There's nothing wrong with the man who asked for alms. It's what he needed. It's what he knew at the time that he needed. But God knew that he needed something more. And so it will start with you crying out and saying, God, can you rescue me from this? Can you help me with this? I'm finding my identity in this. I, I've got, I'm struggling with this relationship or this person. Or I, I just feel this, this sense of unrest. Like, where do you need to experience the power of God? And get this, God's going to move. He's gonna carry you through. He's gonna be there with you. And he's doing something much, much bigger. But there is this call to cry out and I think one of the things that we see throughout the scriptures is there's also a call to invite other people in. The great tactic of the enemy is to get you to just keep that to yourself. Because you worry, oh, if I verbalize that, maybe, maybe it's kind of ridiculous. But God cares. He sees you. And he's given us one another as the church, imperfect, failing people who are being pointed and redirected to Jesus to say, hey, like, Will you tell that to somebody? So I want to give some space here in just a moment. I'll give you some instruction on this, but like this is the kind of community we want to be where we actually can share some of these things. I finished a book this week. I'll read you this quote from it. And in it, um, the authors, they're kind of talking about this. Um, it, it, 
not really a novel, I mean, it's sort of a fable, but then they're drawing out these truths, and in it, they're, they're talking about this man's experience where he just, you know, he, he's, he moves between these two rooms, and on the one, there's the room of, like, sort of good intentions, all right, and the other is this room of grace, and we tend to always go back to the room of, like, good intentions. Well, I can do this. I got this, this figured out, but what it looks like to live in the room of grace is to understand that you've been made right and whole, not on your own, but through the finished work of Jesus, And then what this spills out into is how it affects our community. And so let me read you a couple of these lines. At the core, we're just learning to trust and depend on our new identity. We're learning to live out of who God says we are on our worst day. That you're righteous and you're holy because of Jesus. So even on your worst day, God still loves you. God still sings over you. God is still pleased with you because of Jesus. We're starting to discover that this new power is released when we trust it. When I'm safe enough to tell the worst about myself to someone else. We want to get close enough, be safe and trusted enough that when the moments come where God reveals something hard to face, we won't have to run and hide. Wouldn't it be beautiful to be part of that kind of community? We're able to say, hey, we're secure enough in who we are in Christ. We're living out of our place in this this room of grace to be able to say, hey, but here's still where I'm struggling. You're becoming the person that you've been created to be in Christ Jesus. And so the worship team's gonna come back up. And I'm not saying it's contained to this, but I think it can start here. I wanna invite you, for one, just asking what, what places, maybe, where are you hiding? Like, where are you unwilling to bring something to somebody else? It might be a sin that needs to be confessed. It just might need to be a struggle that you, you bring that to let you say, hey, I, this is something I'm dealing with. It's so very practically, here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. Um, to, to ask, for one, for prayer. And so that might be you're sitting with a friend, you're sitting with a spouse, somebody, maybe somebody's on the other side of the room that you know, like, you, like during, we're gonna have some time to kind of respond. And if you want to, what I would encourage you is like, maybe pray for one another, ask for prayer, let that spill out after the service. We're also gonna have some folks kind of back in, in the, the corners. And so Eric Rome, Ashley Eddie are gonna be back in this corner and eventually I'll be back in that corner there. We, we kind of had a great privilege to pray with you. There's nothing magical about coming to talk to us, but if you're looking for somebody to talk, we, we would kind of take great joy and privilege to pray with you. But there's also brothers and sisters here in this room. Like, what can we confess? What, where do we, we need to stop hiding? And then let's, let's actually ask for healing. God, I'm, I'm stuck in this way. I've got this negative emotion. I'm believing this lie. I'm just, I don't even know how to articulate. I just, I feel stuck. And so to ask for that. And then there's also a great invitation though. I love what happened with the man, right? Verse eight, he's in the temple and he's leaping like a deer. And he's, he's, you could say he's being a herald. He's suddenly like, look what God has done. And so we gotta be heralds. Like that's the invitation that we have to let it spill out from here. But I think it starts with us recognizing our need, our condition, to quit hiding, to quit wearing the mask, to ask for that healing. And from there, then we get to herald what God has done. That God is gonna do more than we can ask or think or imagine that there's this power that's at work within us. And so let me go ahead and pray. And the worship team's gonna come back up and I wanna just give you some space to reflect. Ask for prayer. Like seek it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you see us. We thank you that you saw our condition so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to literally move into the neighborhood, to take on flesh and blood, to pursue us, to see us, 
to direct your focus, your intent, your gaze upon us and to say, I've got plans for you. I thank you that we see that story play out again and again and again throughout the scriptures. Jesus, where you see us and you know our needs and you enter in. And so in this room here this morning, God, there is hurt, there's struggle, and there's pain, and there's just areas of our life, God, that we haven't given over to you. Maybe we're embarrassed, maybe we don't believe, but we need your healing. We need your power to flow through us. We want to be set free. We want to experience that the liberating power of the gospel. God, we're so thankful that you use your church, brothers and sisters in Christ, to join in that. And so, God, would you make us the kind of people that quit hiding? Because we know that we're, we're safe because of the gospel. And that we can cry out to you and ask for that healing, God. And so I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work whether we sit silently in our chairs or we reach out to somebody, we get up, we go ask for prayer, whatever it looks like, God. May we be people right now that it starts where we would cry out to you asking for healing, that we would repent of our sin, that you would ask, that we ask that, that you would set us free. It's only the truth of the gospel that can set us free. And so God, I pray that you would do that so that you would get your glory and that we might experience the joy that you desire for us. Hear us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.